So let's, let's look today. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Mark 14, 16, 66 to 72, and then John 21, 15 to 17. Interesting passage. I always do this, don't I? For Mother's Day, you'll say, what in the world does this have to do with mothers? Well, we'll try to tie it all together, make sense of it. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went on out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them, again. He denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Then John uh, 21, 15 to 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You may be seated. What does a mother go through? What does she put up with? What are... What is the load that she carries? What about a grandmother? We have a number of grandmothers, some even some great-grandmothers, and I don't know if we have any great-great-grandmothers here. I think we might. Okay, I think we do. And that's an interesting thing. What do teachers go through? What about caregivers? Um, Got a picture to show you here that I'm going to get in trouble with, but Ronnie's going to put a picture up here, and I'm going to get in big trouble if it shows up, and uh, I'm in huge trouble, so I'm going to have to take her to one of those fancy restaurants or something here coming up. Uh, my wife, she, she takes care of up to four children on a couple of days during the week, other days three days, and one day she only has two kids, and uh, those are the four children. Looks like six, but two are dolls there <laughs> sitting there. And uh, there's another picture. This one she's really going to kill me on. But anyway, those are the... And let me just tell you, I've learned not to go home much after I leave in the morning. I just don't go home much. You know, there are four kids that can get hungry all at one time. And they do. And... uh, there are three kids that want the same toy at one time, the same book, the same game. And, you know, you, if I go home, I find myself being a referee or a policeman. And, uh, and that's not fun. It, it, I get along much better up here with Kathy and, and even Paul at times, you know. 
up here at church. But uh, So I don't go home that often. However, I do have a, a cell phone. It's up in my office right now. And um, I do get these little, and it's always on vibrate. I don't ever put mine on sound. So my pocket vibrates throughout the day. And I open that phone up, and I get messages like, help. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm going bonkers. I'm going to kill these kids, and I'm, I'm leaving them. And you come home and take care of them. And this week, she sent me a text message, and, and it said to me, the older two have locked me out of the downstairs bathroom. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things come along during the year. Well, there are the trials, and all of you mothers, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and caregivers and teachers and, and so on. Uh, the woman's touch, what she can do with children. So I have learned to avoid going home. Don't get attacked. Don't go home and be a referee. But there have been times I think, you know, I'm going to be a good husband, and I'll text her, let's take the kids to McDonald's today. And we do, but it's not a good idea. <laughs> or let's, let's go to Pizza Hut today. And we do. And uh, that works out a little bit better for some reason. I don't know why. McDonald's, they go nuts. <laughs> and annually, it's our fourth year now to be to caregivers to these children, to some of them. And so annually, we have this annual tradition before the year gets over to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, guess what? We haven't done that this year. There's nine school days left. And I don't know why we started that tradition, because that's the worst of them all. <laughs> Taking four kids to Chuck E. Cheese is, is a nightmare. But it's coming up, and I'm already getting ulcers. So I kind of avoid home. And I will, I will even come up with ideas. There's so-and-so I can go to lunch with today. And, uh, honey, I, sorry I can't come home today. I've got a lunch date, or I've got a meeting I can schedule quick. So I do those things. But um, here's the side of kids, though, that I can focus on. You know, when I get up in the morning, by 8 o'clock, those four kids are there. Sometimes some come as early as 7.20. So your day begins with uh, not peace and quiet. And here's what I catch myself focusing on as I look at those children. They can be clingy. Right, Carissa? They can kind of get clingy. Uh, they like to be tattletale tellers. <laughs> he did that. She did that. And uh, they love to do that. Kids can be so picky. You would think you could, you could cook breakfast and they would all want the same thing. But no, no, no. I didn't want that jelly on my toast and... I didn't want syrup on my whatever, and I don't like orange juice, and they're picky. They can turn the house upside down and be proud of it. <laughs> and uh, when she has four kids and I come home at lunch, I find the living room, duplos are everywhere. All the little dishes and plates and cups and things are everywhere. The books are everywhere. The cushions are off the couch. And uh, I, I say to her, what have you been doing? But anyway, <laughs> I'll ask those kids, you know, I'll kind of get down on those kids as if I'm being gruff and I'm thinking they're not going to want to tell me. I'll say, who did this? I did. I did. <laughs> they all wave their hand. They're proud of it. 
We, when we just had two, we called them thing one and thing two, but now we have four, and that doesn't, doesn't quite fit the book anymore. But anyway, you can focus on those things about kids. They can grate on your nerves. There's one still in diapers. There's one still in pull-ups, and I am proud to say after four years, finishing now four years, I don't think I have changed five diapers. I've really planned that one good, <laughs> got away from that. You have to keep your cupboard doors secure. We've tried everything. Now we're kind of down to get the biggest rubber bands you can get and just kind of hold them together because they get into everything. We have to put a gate at the top of the stairs. We're in a bi-level, and there's always one kid that you don't want going downstairs. They can get hurt or get into something. So there's always this plastic gate, and it doesn't work. They don't design those things to work right. We've got that. You have to secure your place. Sometimes you have to get the Lysol out, and, uh, and sometimes your mothers squabble a little bit. One mother hears that another one's been sick, and, well, we're not going to bring our child tomorrow if so-and-so comes. You know, parents, it, Liz, do you get parents kind of squabbling? Okay, see, mothers know about all this stuff. So you've got all these things, and you can just focus, and you can say, I've had it, and kids are a nuisance, and they're a mess. But God got a hold of me the other day, kind of softly chided me. He showed me what a wonderful disciple I had been. You remember that day when the disciples got after children one day? Remember the mothers? Mothers have this natural instinct. The mothers all knew, you know, this guy Jesus is great. And I love my kids. And if I can just get my kids near Jesus, I know it's going to be good. It's going to be a good influence on them. So mothers bring their children to Jesus, and the disciples are all around. And they're saying to each other, this is ridiculous. Child doesn't mean anything. A child doesn't do anything in life. And, and they begin to think that way. And the Lord is too busy for children. They started to shoo the children away and give the mothers the idea, don't ever get the idea that you can bring children to Jesus, because they're just not that important. And God kind of talked to me, and he said, you've, you've kind of been like one of those disciples, haven't you? You've been avoiding these kids, and you've been thinking, how can I get out of here as quick as I can and escape these children? And then shortly after that, here's what happened in a week's time. We still got the picture there. The little girl out on the side there, that's Faith. She's two and a half years old, and we've had her the last two years. And the mother said, we're thinking about putting faith in preschool, daycare, preschool next year, so she can be with other children. And, you know, they're not upset at all with Cheryl and what she's doing, but we want our kid in one of those environments. You know how mothers are, and parents are thinking. We want to get our kids a head start, and they live in Clearwater, the mother teaches right over here at the school, so she brings her. But she says, I think we, we may put her in preschool next year. And all of a sudden, you know, I've kind of grown attached to this little girl. There's days she'll try your patience, but she's really a precious, sweet little girl. And I'm thinking, you mean that's it? And then not short, short after that, there's little Ava, the little baby, chunky as anything, and her brother next to her, her mother comes along 
and she teaches over here, but she has uh, resigned as of the end of this year, and she will teach in Valley Center, and they're moving to Park City. Well, you know, you put two and two together, that's, you mean that's it for Ava and Bo? And we've had Bo for four years, four seasons, from a little tiny crawling guy to, to that age. And all of a sudden I began to realize, you know, God's really laying it on my heart. You think these children are a nuisance, but you're attached to them, aren't you? Yeah, Lord, I, I really am. Now I begin to get a new perspective on these children. I'm going to miss them. I've gotten to know them as my own grandkids. They call me Grandpa, Grandma. We're not, but they call us that, and they treat us exactly like that. I no longer, no more than get to the back step of our porch, and that doorknob makes a noise, and I haven't even gotten in the house, and I hear three kids, Grandpa. That's kind of special, you know. And I go in, and there they are. Now I look at them as persons to be loved rather than being a nuisance, rather than being a time taker. And so let me, this this is fun to me kind of, let me just describe these kids to you a little bit this morning. One of these is my, is my happens to be my real grandchild. She, of course, has to be the one sitting next to Grandma and uh, Cambry. She's four and a half years old, and, and you have heard so much about Cambry, probably not a whole lot I need to tell you, but she's a very smart girl. She's, she's probably the one that locked the bathroom door and blamed it on the little boy. She's very smart. She's got more energy than you can ever imagine. She is very creative. She is very bossy. I always thought as grandpa, I could tell the kids what to do, but no, 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 no. She is, she is uh, uh, that kind of person. And, and every time we pray when we get together, she has to pray. And uh, so every time she prays, and we felt like, well, sometimes maybe somebody else ought to pray, but she demands to pray. So we came up with this idea. We'll have two people to pray. And so she said, well, I want to be the front prayer. She calls it the front prayer. So we let her pray first. She gets to pick the back prayer. So we have a front prayer and a back prayer. This little girl, and this kind of melts your heart, when she prays, these little hands come together. Her little head goes down with all her little curly hair. And she prays this. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Thank you, God, for feeding me. And looks up with a big grin on her face. Now, is that precious or what? I don't know if... By the time she's a teenager, if she'll get out of that or not. But she does that. So you know what that little girl means to me. She's my own granddaughter. Faith is two and a half years old. That's the little girl clear out on this end. We've had her from the crawling stage. You know, we see these kids develop through all these stages. We've had her for two years. She is... uh, The other day she was, uh, for some reason... The caregiver wasn't being real responsible, <laughs> and she'd lost her pants, so she was in her pull-up and her shirt. No, I shouldn't have said that. The caregiver 
was doing her job. But all I saw were legs and shirt, and I am not exaggerating when I would say if you put a broomstick in front of her, you wouldn't see her. That's how thin she is. And uh, so there's little skinny legs and these great big shoes, so she's always tripping, always falling all over everything. And uh, she comes in the morning, and she'll go to the Duplo box, and she kind of hums and talks and puts all these configurations together. And you sit her down, and she's only two and a half years old, and you read a book with her, and that little child, believe it or not, she's in everything all the other times, she will sit there from beginning to end and never move and listen to a book. She's amazing. But I think about this little girl, and, and when she gets hurt, I've never seen the biggest tears come out of eyes that are so wet and big. And uh, so I've got a relationship with this little girl, and I, I think to myself, I wonder what life is going to bring her when she's Leilani's age, when she's Nicole's age, when she's a young woman. You think about this. What is life going to bring to her? Is she going to walk with God? Is she going to make the right choices in life? You begin to think about those things. Ava's the little girl. We've only had her since January, two or three months old, and now she's seven months old or so. She came and she is one of the, was one of the chunkiest little babies you've ever laid eyes on. Uh, she was into that nursing stage, you know, and and I was asked to come home one day when Cheryl had to go to the doctor, watch the kids, and this little girl, her mother's going to be coming over to nurse her, and don't worry about anything. Everything's taken care of. That little girl cried from the moment I got home, and I was watching for that mother very intently to, to get there and take care of her. But she's a little girl, and right now she is at the probably the funnest stage of a baby you can be. You put her in one of those little bouncers, and she just jumps all over the place. And, and you get her attention, and arms and legs just go flapping and dancing and, and the biggest grin on her face. And, I, you know, she's cute as a bug's ear. And I ask myself, I wonder what life is going to bring her because, see, my, our time with her is about to come to an end. And uh, she's the cutest thing you can imagine and. Her face is turned this way. If she were turned this way, she has a big birthmark right here on her face. She doesn't know it. But I wonder, will they, will they be able to do something with that? Because if not, she's going to be ridiculed, made fun of, and live with that. I think the doctors are telling her, for the most part, they're going to be able to do something with that birthmark. It is big and profound and pronounced. But she is the happiest girl. And I wonder about her in, in her life. Will she come to know God? The little boy is the one I worry about. He's there on the other end. When he started coming, he was crawling. So this is the fourth school year we've had him. And he was the only child in a family of, of uh, a marriage that was beginning to have some troubles, some issues. And then mom and dad split up. 
They went through all that period, you know, that can happen. Then they divorced. Then the mother remarried, which brought a stepdad to this little boy's life, an older stepbrother, I think 12 years old or so. And now later a half-sister, Ava, his little half-sister. But here's Bo's world. Let me, let me set you up in Bo's world, give you an idea of where he's at. He talks to us and uh, kind of get the idea that stepbrother picks on him. And probably naturally so. He's 12, and here's this little kid that, that can ask you so many questions, it just drives you nuts. He also, we kind of feel like, plays second fiddle to little sister. After all, she's a cute little gal. She doesn't ask a bunch of dumb questions. And, uh, and a busy mother who's a school teacher and going through everything else in life and nursing a baby and Bo's kind of playing second fiddle in all of this, if you know what I mean. We've picked up little remarks from him from time to time that seem to tell us that stepdad may not be the fondest of him as possibly could be. You just kind of pick that up. And then we've discovered that his real dad doesn't always come through for him. He's supposed to have him weekends, and there was one weekend they were going to do something very special and go together. I think it was camping or something, and dad called on Friday, and somehow Bo was told, your dad's not going to have you this weekend. And that little boy, only four and a half years old, he knew, and he was quiet the rest of the day. And you could tell. And the disappointment with him. And so God got a hold of me. You sense all these things. And God kind of said to me, you're going to be like one of my disciples who said, children aren't important and they don't need your time. And, and you can't influence a child. And what difference is, is it going to make? And, or God said, are you going to take my challenge, which includes this, feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. Well, God did get a hold of me. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I tell you what, I'm going to love these kids. I'm going to do my part. And so a few days ago, I came into the house about lunchtime. And here's this little four and a half year old boy. And he comes over to me and he says, Grandpa, can you hold me? Pick me up and can you hold me? And I'll tell you what, at first I'm thinking, you are four and a half years old. Grow up and be a man. And I'm also thinking, you know, I've, I came home and I don't have a lot of time to spend and I don't know if I can hold you and so on and I'm busy, but I didn't say anything to him. God kind of got a hold of me again. He said, uh, remember, we talked about this. So I picked him up for a while, and that little boy put his arms around me and his legs around me and just clung to me. Here's what I discovered. Here's what began to go through my mind. Here's a four-and-a-half-year-old boy who innocently finds himself 
in kind of a complicated situation. Kind of overlooked by so many people. His heart cries out, and I think he's saying, Does anybody love me? Can I find security somewhere? Are there any male figures in life who will really say to me, I'm important? I got all that. God said, Feed my sheep. Do that for me. Something small. You know, we had our scripture reading, and so now we've got to get back to that and kind of tie everything together. And Peter really blew it, didn't he? When you stop to think about it. I mean, Peter just really blew it. Teenage girl accused him or, or said, I think you're one of his because you talk like him. And it seems like I recognize you maybe being with him. And you know him, don't you? Oh, no. Not at all. Never met the man. Some other people came along and, Hey, you know this Jesus. You've been with him. No, 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 no. You got me mixed up with somebody else you've been looking at. A third time he was accused of that. Or a third time somebody merely said, I think you're one of him. Not at all. I will curse on my life before I admit to knowing this man. He blew it. I mean, he really blew it. And it bothered him, and it made him feel like such a heel, and he was miserable. And then that scene on the seashore with Jesus that day, where Jesus literally was giving him the message, Peter, I forgive you. Peter, I love you. Peter, I've got plans for you. Peter, I forgive you. The cross, the sacrifice, the blood, it covers it all, but... Here's the interesting thing. If Peter's human like the rest of us are human, I can think good and well that there were times it came up again where Satan would put it in front of Peter's eyes. Peter, remember how you denied the Lord three times. You were such a heel. You were such a loser. In front of a teenage girl and all those other people watching, and Peter would have had it very vivid in his mind, his computer recollection of, that teenage girl and what she looked like, those other people and what they looked like, and then the look of Jesus on his face, and then the sound of a rooster. I would imagine every time Peter heard a rooster crow the rest of his life, something would have come up. But the voice of Jesus came through, would remind Peter, okay, Peter, I know what you're going back through, but remember the conversation we had. Peter, you can't change the past. You can't undo that. And I have forgiven you. But Peter, I tell you what you can do because I know you love me so much. And I know you feel so bad about that and you can't ever undo that. But Peter, here's what you can do. Feed my sheep. That will prove more than anything else, Peter, that you truly do love me. That will put Satan behind you every time, Peter. Feed my sheep. Concentrate on that. Make that a part of your life. And I guess I would ask us, every one of us this morning, do we make it a habit of going into our world with that on our mind? Feed my sheep. Look after my lambs. Children. Teens. Adults. 
Do we go into our world with that kind of value system in our heart? See, here's interesting. When we go into eternity, there's a lot of things that right now we think are important in our life, our opportunities, our achievements, acquiring this and that, and getting this degree, our appearance, our success, and and so on, and our friends and our number of friends. But none of that's going to go into eternity. But what will is this. Jesus will ask us, did you feed my sheep? Did you look after my lambs? He'll ask us. The nature, the giftedness, the, the way of a mother seems to be the example for us of feeding my sheep. Take on my little ones. And a mother does. Be there for those who are searching. Be a voice to the lost. In any and whatever way you can, everyone here this morning, Jesus instructs, feed my sheep. You heard of Katie Davis of in Uganda? You heard of this book? You college kids, surely you've... Have you guys heard of this book? Good, good. Kisses for, from Katie this is a girl at the age of 18 decided I'm going to make a difference in my world. She goes to Uganda thinking she'll be there for a year for a missions endeavor trip. And then she'll come back home. But she goes to Uganda. She falls so in love with these children that are so deprived and malnourished and dying every day. She adopts 13 of them. She's 18 years old. And legally she can't. But she does in Uganda. And uh, she's 22 now. And now she has started this ministry. I can't remember the name of it right now, but reaches out to about 500 of these kids. The ministry brings in about $700,000 a year. And she oversees it and puts it all together and uh, does what she can. What is she doing? I guess one day Jesus spoke in her ear and she caught a challenge. And Jesus just simply said... Feed my sheep. Can you do that? And she said, yeah. I'm going to do that. Will you do that for God? In your life, one person or two people or three people or however many people you influence in your life, you rub elbows with, will you do that very thing? Feed my sheep.